Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. When Don Green was a springboard diver in high school and college, his performances were erratic. Sometimes they'd be amazing and sometimes embarrassing. None of his coaches could explain why that happened to him, so Don set out to find the answers himself. After serving as an Army Ranger in Green Beret and getting his PhD in sports psychology, Don has spent decades coaching Olympic divers, professional athletes, race car drivers, opera singers, classical musicians, and Wall Street traders in how not to choke under pressure. He shares the principles he uses as a stretch coach and Fight Your Fear and Win, Seven Skills Performing Your Best Under Pressure. Today we talk about those skills, beginning with why people choke in the first place and what's going on in your mind when that happens. We then talk about the fundamentals of managing performance anxiety and staying in right brain flow, including making adrenaline work for instead of against you, getting your mind centered, ignoring distraction, and becoming mentally tough. We also discuss how to thwart negative self-talk through a practice Don calls thought monitoring and his five-step strategy for recovering when you do make a mistake. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is. Don't choke. All right, Don Green, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. So you spent decades coaching elite performers. We're talking golfers, tennis players, Olympic divers, race car drivers, opera singers, Juilliard musicians, and even financial investors and in how to master their, their mental game. What's the reason these performers initially come to you for help? The issue is they want to do better under pressure. Because, because all of them can do it well in a practice room. All of the divers can do well, you know, in relaxed circumstances. All the opera singers can nail it in lessons. That's not the issue. That's not what they get paid for. They all have in common the fact that they tend, if, if they're not trained in this or experienced in this, they tend not to do as well under pressure as they do in relaxed circumstances. And what I teach them to do is what Olympic athletes learn to do is not just do it as well as you do in a practice room in relaxed circumstances, but learn how to use the adrenaline to perform better under pressure than you do in relaxed circumstances. That's what Olympic athletes are trained to do by sports ecologists for many years. If you look at Olympic competition, Olympic athletes compete all the time, continually. National championships, Pan Am games, university games, Maccabea games. It's continual, nationals, all the time. And they have an opportunity to set records, world records, in any of these sanctioned events. But only once every four years do not only the Olympic records drop, but the world records drop in events that can be measured, like like the shot put, like the long jump, like swimming events. They drop dramatically because the athletes have learned how to use the adrenaline. And that's what sports psychologists teach. And that's basically what I do teach Two musicians and opera singers. I mean, opera is an athletic event. Athletic event. You need a lot of power to to create that that incredible sound without microphones. That's like the shot put. And instead of trying to suppress that energy or just relax or take beta blockers or alcohol, what I teach musicians how to do is use that energy and power to blow audition panels away. You don't want to just do it the way the other hundred candidates are doing it. You got to stand out if you want to win. And that's the performance approach versus just relax. So whenever the stakes are high, then as you said, the adrenaline increases. What does that adrenaline surge do to a performer? <laughs> well, it, it has dramatic effects if you don't know how to use it. 
comes across in three different areas. The symptoms physically are racing heart rate, change in breathing, increased perspiration, wanting to go to the bathroom a lot, increased muscle tension, butterflies in the stomach, shakiness, tremors. Those are just the physical ones. Mentally, there's increased self-consciousness. There's increased negative thinking, increased doubt, tend to think the worst, imagine the worst, doomsday thinking, fearing the worst, a lot of critical thinking, blaming, opinions, judgments. So it puts the mind into overdrive, which, which affects performance. And the last is, is the emotional, because pure, people go into a fear response. They, they brace for the danger. Their muscles tighten, and the musicians tend to play defensively because of this versus playing out or singing out uh, because of the adrenaline. They don't know how to use it. I think everyone listening has probably experienced that self-consciousness that happens when you feel that adrenaline and it causes you to overthink what you're doing and then you end up just screwing up whatever you're doing, even though you're thinking really hard about it. Well, the thinking hard is what causes screwing up. Yeah, that's the choking part. Don't choke, don't choke. Yeah, sports psychologists have have identified in detail the choking mechanism. It's well, well documented. Most musicians are not that familiar with it. Most people are not that familiar with it because they don't want to think about choking because it's, it's like thinking about shanking in golf. You don't want to think about it. But it, but it does happen. But here's the mechanism. The, there's a difference between panicking and choking. Panicking happens to people that are not trained, that all of a sudden they're in disastrous situations for not trained. They don't want to do don't know how to handle it. They're not experienced, so they do stupid things. You know, like people know, yeah, if you watch your house burning down, people go in and, you know, get the stuffed animals, not the financial records, because they're not trained to use the adrenaline or what to think well under when the adrenaline hits. But that's panicking. But experienced people can choke. And choke is a very different mechanism. This is people are expected to do well. And because they're trained, they went to the right schools, they have the proper training. So they're expected to handle this pressure situation. So they're in a pressure situation and then they can make a minor mistake or a lapse in focus, whatever. And and it's not good. And they realize that, you know, people are watching them or listening to them because they're expected to be good. And it, it shifts them from the right brain where they're, you know, in flow, where they're playing the music or, or an athlete in flow in a competition with mental quiet and right brain, feeling the movements, seeing them correctly, possibly hearing the right sounds. They shift from that performance right brain state to the left brain which is where we think in words and numbers and analysis and criticism and blaming. And because the spotlight's on this person, because they're expected to be good and everybody's listening, they get super self-conscious and shift from right brain to left brain, and not just left brain, but prefrontal cortex. Prefrontal cortex is the most advanced form of human thinking. It's, it's responsible for what's called executive functioning. This is high-speed, rapid left-brain thinking. This is very helpful in a board meeting if you're presenting to the investors and you scrambling, ask a question you're not prepared for or challenge you, and all of a sudden your brain goes out into left-brain executive functioning and thing called liquid intelligence. This is very, very rapid left brain thinking analysis to try to plan your way out of this dilemma. <laughs> and it's very useful in a board meeting, but it's not useful in the middle of a concerto or a athletic performance or anything where you need to be in right brain flow. And, and it causes people to go from right brain flow to left brain staccato robotic movements. Because you go from implicit memory of knowing how to do it and trust it without the left brain interference to left brain 
explicit memory where you have to talk yourself way through it the way you learned it when you were 12 years old or 14 years old and it comes out as staccato and robotic like a stick figure biomechanical stick figure going through a golf swing with 100 different positions and and it doesn't work and it will produce a bad shot or a mistake a bad note in music and when the athlete or musician hears that it drives them further into left brain prefrontal cortex and that's what causes a meltdown or choking so i think i've heard uh the right brain sort of activity memory isn't that proce- is that procedural memory where it's like riding a bike like your your body just implicitly knows what to do that's exact that's exactly it but but your body knows what to do but this is when the left brain prefrontal cortex overrides that and that's what causes the problem it, it overrides that that implicit system that procedural memory and also in your book, you noted that you also worked with Wall Street brokers who you think are very analytical, right? They're using that left brain. What issues do they have with the high pressure? Like what is their, is it, it's not the procedural stuff I would imagine because it's very analytical. What is, what's causing their block? Well, that's the problem. I, I don't see it as block. I think it's their procedure. Yes, it's very left brain and they need to be left brain. They need to analyze, weigh the options, pros and cons. But to me, it, it shouldn't stop there because that's only using half their brain. And that, to me, sets up mistakes. What, what works, and this works for experienced traders, not new traders or amateur day traders. This is for professionals, like professional musicians or ath- professional athletes. This is not for beginners. You need the explicit memory. You need to learn it in left brain. Athletes, musicians need to learn it in left brain, explicit. And after years and 10,000 hours, shift to right brain and trust it that it will work procedurally, implicitly. So you need to put in the hours for this system to work. But after you have, you have developed an incredible power beyond the left brain with your right brain namely intuition. So the idea is that you start in left brain, crunch the numbers, pros and cons, and switch to right brain then. Check in with your gut. How's it feel? Feel right or, right or wrong? Approach or avoidance? Yes or no? It's not a, it doesn't take long. It shouldn't take long because if it starts thinking, then you're back to left brain. But it's an up or down. It's, it's in your gut. Not in your head, but certainly not in your left brain. That's step two. And then step three is you go back to left brain and make sure it's, it's, you can live with this. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> not, that, that if you go this way, you, you know, it's really off the charts and it doesn't work, you could lose your job. <laughs> right. right. Well, well, I think that's a good point you brought up. This stuff that you, the, the things that you do, the tactics, some of the tactics we'll talk about today, this is for people who are hyper, like they, they've, they've put in the hours, they have the experience. This probably is not going to work for, say, someone who has to give a presentation. It's the first public speech they've ever given. Might not work. Not, not going to work. Not gonna so you're, work. you're talking about people, maybe someone who, uh, who has maybe just a corporate job where they're, they're a fantastic public presenter, but then for some reason they just hit this, like they go through this, they, they choke, they start choking. Your job is to help them figure out like well, dude, what's well, going it, on there. They're not necessarily a fa- fantastic presenter. If they're a fantastic <laughs> presenter, <laughs> well, they, they were, don't they were, and now they're not. Yeah. Well, that, that's an easy one. If they were, it's just to take them back to what they were doing when they were doing it well. Yeah. No, I think that's, I've, I've, I forgot who it was. There was a baseball player who was this fantastic hitter. And then he hit, had this, hit this terrible slump and he was like about to go back to the minor leagues. And what they ended up doing is they just said, quit, quit thinking about it. They just said, just have fun. And then I think one game he had like three home runs or something like that. It was something crazy. But, well, that's, that's the problem. Coaches in baseball are trained in baseball, not necessarily in how to focus or quiet the mind. So what they're telling the athlete to do is focus, but they're not telling the athlete how to do it or specifically how to quiet the mind. 
that's what sports psychology teaches. But but it's as simple as switching from the left brain instructions on how to hit the ball to right brain, quieting the mind so you can fully see the trajectory of the ball. Because every time you switch to left brain to check the position of your of your right elbow or this or your balance, you're going to be out of right brain and you're not going to see the ball. And for every time you don't see the ball for that amount of trajectory, you're not seeing the ball and the ball is going to jump. And the more it jumps, the less you see it and the less you can hit it. Where When I work with professional hitters, I teach them to quiet the mind so they can see the full trajectory of the ball in their right brain. And then it seems to slow down because they're so used to bouncing between left and right brain and missing parts of the trajectory that when they see the whole trajectory, it slows down and they hit it better. But but professional baseball coaches don't necessarily know how to do that. But but Yogi Berra, one of my favorite philosophers, said <laughs> you can't hit the ball and think at the same time. No, it's true. That's it. But but most people don't know how to stop thinking. They their left brain is a machine that's that's continually running 24-7 other than when they're in REM a deep sleep and they don't have either the stop switch or the slow switch to slow it down somewhat or to shift into right brain. And that's what sports psychology teaches. But you know, cliche is well, well, just just focus or or, or just just focus or just relax is nice, but it doesn't work. Well, and you published a book um, called Fight Your Fear and Win, and you talk about seven skills you teach your clients to help them with the stuff we've been talking about. So we can talk about a few of these skills in detail, but over, like, can you give us a broad view? Like, what are these seven skills that you found help people perform um, when the pressure's on? Yeah, what I've found to work across the board is number one is learn how to control this energy, the adrenaline that goes with high pressure situations and make it work for you. That's one of the key things, because if that overrides the performance or or affects the performance, it will affect it. If people misinterpret the the signals like they think their heart racing means they're not going to do well or they get too self-conscious. If, if the energy is out of control, they're just not going to do well. So one of the main things I do is I have a strategy called centering, which is a very complicated strategy, seven steps from the martial art of Aikido and Western sports psychology to teach athletes and, and musicians how to, how to quiet the mind, how to shift to right brain, how to control their energy, how to control their breathing, how to intensify their focus. At first, it takes about a minute and a half and seven steps. And after about a week or two of practicing, going from basic to intermediate advanced, they can get centered in less than 10 seconds before they step in a batter's box to quiet their mind, before they start their concerto, or before they make a trade, a really important trade. So they're using both parts of their brain, not just the left, to use whole brain functioning. That's one of the first things I work on is centering so they can learn how to control the energy and learn how to start focusing on the pressure in right brain versus left brain. The next one has to do with uh, controlling both the left brain and right brain. In other words, channeling the negative self-talk more into positive, going from negative critical to more positive supportive from negative to positive and ultimately to mental quiet, that batters don't need a lesson on how to hit the ball. Traders don't need instruction on the market. They need to quiet that and again, shift to right brain to either see the baseball or trust their intuition on this trade. That's another thing. The next is mental rehearsal, that that they're able to imagine it going well whether it's imagine them hitting this batter, hitting this pitcher, or, or playing the concerto well. Uh, I've found that, that not all elite athletes, elite musicians, can really imagine themselves performing flawlessly. If you ask them to sit down and imagine, you know, 
the toughest concerto they play, they might wind up hearing mistakes in their mind. And mental rehearsal is, is a skill, a learned skill, just like any other skill, where people get the correct information and they practice it for a while and they get better at it so that they can fully, vividly imagine their performance going flawlessly under pressure. And if they can't do that, they have reason to doubt how well they're going to do under pressure. The next has to do with focus of getting them past distractions and into the zone. And distractions come from either outside, like things moving or sounds, or worrying about people and what they're thinking about you and your performance, or internal distractions besides that, such as left brain distractions like instructions, commentary, blaming, criticism, judgments, while they're trying to perform in right brain. And and the last I I work on, resilience. Uh, None of the performers or athletes I work with, not easy. It's very challenging at all those levels. And the question is, can can they be mentally tough under challenging situations when things are going against them? I have a background in psychology, but I have a background in the military. I went to West Point, which is a four-year instruction in how to compete under terrible situations, conditions, an airborne ranger. I was the first in my West Point class to join the Green Berets, Fifth Special Forces. I, I add some of that to my training with people, not boot camp, but to, to get them tougher, to prepare them for the competition. Because it's not easy and things happen. Things happen in auditions, things happen in competition. One of our Olympic divers who won a silver medal in 84 on 10 meter platform came in second to a Chinese lady. And the third, third girl was Chinese as well. So Michelle Mitchell got a silver medal in 84, but she wasn't happy about it. She wanted a gold medal. So two years later, they had the world championship in China. And Michelle went there with the intention to win. And she started the competition very well. In China, it's a very popular event. Like 10,000 people come to diving events. Uh, in the U.S., about 100 people come. <laughs> but but uh, Michelle is diving very well. There's eight dives in women's competition, 10-meter platform, 33 feet. Very challenging event. Two people have killed themselves hitting the platform. Very dangerous. Michelle got off to a very good start, hit her first four dives. After the fifth dive, she was winning the competition. She was beating the two Chinese competitors. They have big leaderboards in China showing dive by dive where the divers were standing. She was, after the fifth round, she was leading the competition. She hit a sixth dive and a seventh dive. She was leading by 15 points, going to the last dive. Her last dive was an inward three and a half. It's where you turn around backwards on the platform and then spin towards the platform three and a half times. She was one of the only two women in the world doing it. And it was her last dive. And she went out to the end of the platform and turned around and and started setting up, putting her toes on the end. And she started hearing a noise. And she thought somebody dropped a teacup and then two teacups. And then started more and she realized people were stomping their feet. And it got louder and louder. It was really dangerous. The rules would allow her to step back and ask the rules official to quiet the crowd so she could do the dive. We had prepared for this. Michelle and I had trained for years for this. In practice, we did distraction training. We would drop things on the pool deck. We would play crowd noise. We'd put on AM talk stations. The divers did not like it at first. They got used to it. Michelle did not ask to start again. 
She went through the, her routine. She said some expletives about the Chinese people. And she nailed the die for nine and a half. She got 110. She won the world championship. The next morning, she got a public apology in the official Chinese newspaper apologizing for the behavior of their citizens. That's mental toughness. When I was at Juilliard, the final exam was adversity training. I prepared them for weeks ahead of time with mental toughness. This was their final exam. I told them things would happen. One of the time they came in, the first thing they did after they got set up, we had a four by eight plywood plank we dropped in front of them, made a huge noise. I had an AM radio station playing. I had one of my other musicians play whatever that musician was playing, but slightly out of tune and off tempo. I had a TV monitor in front of them and a camera on them. If they looked up, they saw themselves. We did 22 things to them. They all nailed it. All got an A. It happened that NPR, National Public Radio, had heard about my class. They were doing a series on the most popular courses in university, and it came to Juilliard, and they picked my class. It just so happened I was doing this on that day. So we had the extra pressure. We had professional radio there listening or, or taping them and the whole thing. And it was all things considered, and it's, you can still hear it, of all the things we did to the students. It was not abusive. It was trained them for exactly what happened to Michelle Mitchell in China because things happen in auditions. Audition panel members talk to each other, cell phone rings, stagehands knock things over, and you can complain about it or you can just make the best of it. And that's what my military training taught me to do, regardless of the situation, you make the best of it. And that's what I've tried to teach performers, that you can't expect it to, to go perfectly. It's not going to. And get used to it. From my Juilliard students that had problems playing with distractions, external distractions, people making noise while they were playing, their homework assignment for the next week was take their instrument and go on the subway platform and play their concerto. If they came out, things didn't bother them anymore. That's, that's mental toughness. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a long-time podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family? When I'm gone, if something happens to me. Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. 
Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. So that's a technique right there that you just talk. If you want to build mental toughness, you have to practice it. You have to create the circumstances. This reminds me of Bill Belichick, the Patriots coach. Uh, whenever there's, like, it gets cold in Boston about this time, and sometimes it snows. And sometimes the players are like, hey, we're going to practice indoors. Like, no. We're going to practice outdoors. <laughs> well, that, that's exactly it. The golf coach at the Oklahoma State, which wins a lot of national championships, where there's a lot of win in Oklahoma, uh, he says, you know, if, if, if it's a calm day, you can stay at the range. But if the wind starts howling, if it starts raining, we're going out to play. That's it. In, in sports psychology, it's called overcompensation. Whatever the problem is, you don't ignore it hope it goes away, but you exaggerate it. And then under safe conditions, you learn how to deal with it. That's mental toughness training. And I think for a lot of athletes or coaches who aren't familiar with this sort of thing, they would think, well, if you need to improve your hitting, save the baseball, a hitting coach, well, just go to the batting cages and get those, you know, medium fast pitches right down the middle all the time. That's probably not going to help. You actually need to get something more real world or exaggerate the type of pitches. No, you that, get. that's a false. That's a false sense of security. That does no good at all. What you want to do is subject yourself to the most extreme. Instead of hitting, you know, average speed pitches, you know, get a pitch a pitcher just really hurling them at you, or a lot of different changeups. When I work with the Texas Rangers in spring training. I saw that all of the hitters can hit the fast straight balls. All of them, just throw me another one. Let me hit this out of the park. But they get very few of those. And then in competition, they have to figure out how to hit everything but a, but a fastball, which again turns on executive functioning and overthinking. So to me, it's, it's getting used to the extremes. Again, every kind of wild pitch you can imagine coming at you, that you get used to that. With, with musicians, it's the same thing. I, I wrote an article for a musicians union paper a couple months ago that musicians uh, auditions are like hitting curveballs, and I, I wrote that you know there's sliders, there's sinkers, there's change of pace, and that's how it is in an audition. A number of my people went for big auditions like at the Met and New York Philharmonic, and they were really well prepared, ready to win. They got there, they checked in, the person said, okay, you have two hours to warm up. So they go into a green room, 
put their instrument down, and five minutes later, the guy says, oh, we're running way ahead. You're up next. And for an instrument like a violin, it takes maybe an hour, two hours to really get in the groove practicing to, to warm up. And that's the curveball. Or they put them in a room and they say, you'll be up in 20 minutes. So the person rushes, goes through it, and they say, oh, you know, we're going to have lunch. And then they're running behind lunch. person who got there checked in at 10 o'clock at the New York Philharmonic at 4 o'clock is finally called in. And their energy went up and then it dropped down. And that's what they got to get used to and prepared for, not it going according to plan. It, it, in an audition, it really does. And in sports, it's chaos. Change happens. It's inevitable. It's It's not... Resisting that, it's it's getting used to it and learning how to deal with it. I want to go back to this skill of managing energy because you said something interesting that caught my attention was that oftentimes when people feel that adrenaline, they think, oh no, something's wrong. But you said that you actually have to, you said you have to teach your clients that no, that's actually, nothing's wrong, that's normal, but you have to channel that energy to for productive Aims. So it sounds like you're refra- you're reframing like that stress response. Well, that's exactly it. It's, it's reframing. It's a question of interpretation, because if you're in a situation where the adrenaline hits, regardless of what it is, whether it's a safe situation or unsafe situation, once it hits, it's going to start this whole cascade of symptoms that I talked about before with the because of the adrenaline, with the racing heart, perspiring, and all of that. So at that point, you can interpret it correctly or wrong. If it's a real danger, if it's there, somebody standing there with pointing, pointing a gun at you, you won't be thinking about it. You'll be using it, rightfully so, to run real fast, fight, fight, or stand there and battle a guy. However, that's a real threat. But what we're talking about is an imagined or not real threats. If somebody points a plastic gun at you and you think it's a real gun, the adrenaline's gonna hit. But it doesn't need to even be danger. It can be going into a business meeting unprepared and an angry boss who could th- who could fire you, and that's a threat, and the adrenaline hits. Or for musicians, that is just an angry conductor not pleased with you playing and reprimanding you will send the adrenaline in. And at this point, the heart's going to race and you can say, oh my God, I'm, you know, this is dangerous. Oh my God, this is going to be terrible or, or whatever. My heart is racing. That's danger. Or you can rationally understand it as, no, it's not real danger. I got to work on my presentation or work on a concerto, but it's not real danger and interpret it correctly. Namely, okay. And that switches it because it's a very quick reaction from perception to interpretation to action. It happens very fast. In other words, the perception is a threat. The interpretation is real danger or not real danger. The action is run for your life or take a breath and deal with the situation. Because the symptoms are going to be there. The racing heart is going to be there if the adrenaline hits. It's how you interpret it as either, oh, my God, no, or it's okay. Because if, if you've ever been stopped for a speeding ticket, which I have a few times, <laughs> <laughs> after the cop writes the ticket and chews you out, and he goes back to his car and he's finishing the paperwork, There's no more danger. In fact, you're in a very safe place. There's a police officer sitting behind you. Nobody's going to rob you or steal your car. But your heart is still pounding. No danger, heart's still pounding. Now you can interpret and say calm down, but the only time people say calm down is when they're freaking out. So it's to realize that this is a normal instinctual reaction to perceived threat and take action. And one of the actions I ask people to do is relax their muscles because people tighten up when they, when they go into fight, fight, when they feel a perceived threat. So if a batter steps, steps into the 
batting box with tight shoulders, it's his muscles are not going to work well. He's going to be behind the pitch. He, it's going to slow down his muscle movement. Same thing with the golf swing. If a golf swing is tight, the ball is going to be blocked right. In performing arts, if the muscles are tight or the support is tight, opera singers are not going to sing with that power. Musicians are not going to play out. A trombonist is not going to play out because of the tight muscles. So it's the correct interpretation and the correct action after the interpretation. That's a key. So an, another skill you mentioned was this uh, self-talk. Yeah. And I think everyone, even if you're not a high performer, you've all, you've all experienced like when you mess up, you like, you're, you're such an idiot. You start talking to yourself like, why do you do something so stupid? You're terrible. Like, how do you coach your clients, your athletes, your musicians on, because that's a hard, that's a hard thing. I can imagine it's a hard habit to break. No, it's not. No, it's, it's not. Okay. It, okay. It, the, it's so like there's hope for habits, me. Right. correct information, having a plan and then sticking with the plan. This is very straightforward. Well, okay. That's good to know. There's hope for me then. So, <laughs> well, not necessarily you, but. Oh, well. no. Okay. <laughs> Just, so here it is. And it, it's. It's a relatively straightforward exercise, but people avoid this one. It's called thought monitoring. Okay? Here's how it works. Do you have anybody you know that that is that you teach or you mentor or looks up to you? Yes, my son. Okay. Yeah. Ah, oh, this is straightforward. What's his name? His name's Gus. Gus. How old is he? He's nine. Okay, this is very easy. You can start him on the right track with this and yourself. All you have to do is write down during the course of your day or afterwards in reflection everything that you say to yourself that you wouldn't say to him. Okay, that's, yeah. <laughs> and then switch it over. That's column A and column B, the transformation of what you would say to him or nothing at all. No, that makes sense. It's super easy. Because like, yeah, if someone else is going through a hard time, if I was coaching him or providing, I would be supportive and I'd get affirmation. I wouldn't say you're an idiot. So why do you reserve that treatment for yourself? I have no clue. I'm well, most for- people have no clue, but they continue doing it. But this is the exercise. I call this the Juilliard syndrome. When I was at Juilliard, uh, one of the exercises I would have them do all in the same room in rehearsal room, take out their instrument and play the most challenging thing they could play in the midst of all the chaos people playing different instruments, different pieces. I let them go on a couple of minutes and I say, okay, write down all the things that you say to yourself when you're doing that. And they'd write it out. And, you know, for these beautiful, young, bright students who play beautiful music, it, when I read them aloud, it sounded like sailors. <laughs> Cursing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was amazing. And they started laughing. We all started laughing. Then I, had a, I made three copies of each. Then I would have one of them sit surrounded by three people reading what they were saying to themselves. Like, you idiot, can't you play? You sound like crap. And everybody started laughing. I said, that's what you're doing to yourself. That's how you get to Juilliard, not by being sloppy and ignoring it. But after you reach a certain level of competence, put the stick away and take out the carrot. Positive reinforcement works much better than negative reinforcement. We use it everybody else, but not ourselves. And this is the major shift I had these students do that, you know, if you want to live a happy life, just stop with the nonsense of criticism and, and learn how to be positive reinforcing with yourself like you do everybody else. That's it. It's pretty straightforward. And after about a week or two of writing it out, it, the list gets shorter and shorter and, and you're just more positive reinforcing with yourself or mentally quiet. You don't need all of that. You don't need that noise. And this is related to another skill of just handling setbacks. So, you know, first thing you can do, we talked about in depth, is planning for those setbacks, training for them. But they're going to occur anyways. So you got to bounce back. And part of that is talking in a a positive way towards yourself. But besides that, do do you give your clients any other systems to follow? to whenever they have a, a, a mistake or a failure or a setback, they can bounce back immediately? Sure, sure. Uh, not at first immediately, but that's the goal because mistakes are inevitable. There is no perfectionism in elite, in elite sports or music. It, it, you have striving for excellence, which, which I preach, but not perfectionism. That's a, a nasty thing to impose. But not anticipating or predicting that mistakes will happen, but they do happen. 
So I have people do a five-step recovery strategy. And the first step is acceptance, that the mistake happened. In spite of all the training, preparation, mistakes happen. And the opposite of that is denial. And for musicians, denial sounds like, I can't believe I missed that note. I've never missed that note. It's, it's neat. I never missed it. Well, you missed the notes. <laughs> so the first step is accepted immediately. You can work on it later, correct, analyze what the mistake was. It's, it's immediate acceptance. Number two is when, when people make mistakes, they tend to cringe. Their muscles tend to tighten. They brace for impact. They, they're fearing the worst, and, and they brace, and the muscles tighten, especially if they're under pressure. They're already probably tight. In fact, the tightness may have caused mistakes in the first place. So the next thing I ask people to do is to, to imagine where they tend to tighten up, whether it's their jaw, their shoulders, their hands, it doesn't matter, but to immediately go to those areas and drop the tension. The next is, is to bring their mind back into the present because you can only focus in the present moment. And with a mistake, they tend to get stuck in the past of the mistake. What caused the mistake? How do I fix the mistake? Well, they're just compounding the mistake because they're now no longer in the present and you make mistakes if you're not in the present. The next is a, is a process cue if they need it. This is a process cue. This is a way to get the train back on the track because it's not going well. This is not the time to have a sophisticated analysis and correction. This is a time to be very simple with a fundamental basic thing that will cue your right brain with one word back into right brain. And these are simple words like support for opera singers or flow for athletes, trust, let it go, these things to get you back. With musicians, it's a little bit easier because the note is moving. Get back on the moving train. Get back on the moving note. It's moving. Get back out of the past into the present. With some sports like golf, where the ball is just sitting there, that can be a little bit trickier. That's when you need, again, to get into flow. Uh, And the last is, the fifth step is, for the rest of it, or initially the, the next parts of it, don't try to make up with it with an incredible, spectacular performance or the best performance of your life. Or this time, now I'm going to hit a home run. No, this is the time to get back to solid playing. Just in baseball, just make solid contact with the ball. Musicians, just play in tune, please, in tempo. Uh, just, just get back to solid before you try anything extra special to make up for the mistake, because if you do, it will just cause another mistake. So that's the five-step strategy I teach to not preclude inevitable mistakes, but even in practice room and batting practice, when it happens, you know, practice this strategy. So one mistake is an isolated event that is quickly in the past and now back in the present. And again, these are skills you have to practice. It's not like... It's going to, the first time you do it. It's yeah, gonna... people mm, sometimes make the mistake thinking in sports psychology, once you get the concept, okay, I got it. And that that's like saying, once you hit a, a long putt, okay, now it goes in, okay, now I know how to putt. Well, Don, there's a lot more we could talk about. Where can people go to learn more, more about the book and your work and what you do? Uh, thanks. Uh, well, what I do is on a few websites. Uh, one is called Winning on Stage, and this is for performing artists. The one for athletes is winning in sports. And they're both similar because it's the same kind of ideas of you using the mind to learn how to perform your best under pressure. So on these both sites, I have different books, different courses, online courses where I teach like the centering. It's, it's a self-study course with its own book, audio tapes, videotapes, a whole course where I teach people how to center. It, it's a very complicated strategy that can't, I can't just say, here are the seven steps, go for it. It's like learning anything else. You need, need, need to learn the correct information and then practice it. But in two weeks, people can learn how to really be centered. 
and go into pressure situations, not just trying to squeak by in, or, or worse in left brain, but how to go in and learn how to use that energy and be centered and perform better because of the pressure. Well, fantastic. Well, Don Green, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure, Will. I, I, I certainly appreciate it. And start monitoring your self-talk and treating yourself better with your self-talk. My guest today was Don Green. He is the author of the book, Fight Your Fear and Win. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about his work at his website, winningonstage.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash don't choke, where you find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles we've written over the years about things about managing stress. There's articles about that. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who would think we get something out of it. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com. Use code MANLINESS to get a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS, and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the Art of Manliness podcast. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay reminding you not only to listen to the AOM podcast, but put what you've heard into action. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.